0: Meg, as always, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Uh, as we join together, I'm going to invite your attention actually to a little bit different than your bulletin this morning. I'm going to invite your attention to Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, if you already turned to Second Corinthians 9, I uh, apologize for that. That's a good read, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. And as you're turning, I just want to say especially thank you to Dr. Alan Branch, who I heard preached almost lights out, although the lights didn't go out. Uh, So thank you. If you know Dr. Branch, you know his heart, his mind is all about getting focused on Christ. I love the brother. I've known him now for almost 12, 13 years. And uh, I, I guess he asked if I had passed his class. And I did, thankfully. I got to graduate, if you remember that last week. Uh, I didn't turn in a lot of papers for his class, but I did pass his class, praise the Lord. So uh, sometimes C's do equal degrees, and it does work. So uh, that's your advertisement for the day. Uh, Thank you for your prayers. We had a good trip down to Oklahoma, uh, down in uh, in, uh, almost the middle of nowhere country, uh, but uh, the cows outnumbered the people. If you know what that type of land's like, that's where we were. Had a good time at Natalie's family and uh, uh, folks down there. So thank you for your prayers. And just a reminder, tonight at 4.30 p.m., 4.30 p.m., our candlelight service this evening. So uh, we'll appreciate that. Well, you're in Matthew chapter 1, as we do. And, you know, as I was thinking about how do you open this up, this story that is so familiar to so many of us, so many of us have heard the story, the Christmas story, for years and years and years. But, you know, it comes down to this. I think as we look at the story... There are a lot of people who simply lack the resolve to follow Jesus Christ genuinely. And what we see is that there are people who uh, they like to, but they really don't want to go all in. And there's a picture that you'll see on the screen of these hands, these gloves. When you think of going all in, you think of someone taking off the gloves and just going at it, just being a part of it. But going all in requires a motivation that goes beyond what we can bring to bear. You know, I think I've been surrounded by all those types of people, and you have as well. They follow Jesus when it's easy, when it's cultural, when it's that time of the year, or when they're a part of a group that's doing a good thing, when it naturally fits within their lifestyle. But they lack the verb to do that when it's really, really hard. But to stand alone, to swim upstream, to keep going when no one's standing behind them saying, keep going, keep going, that's when they putter out and they fall behind. To actually follow the Jesus that we're celebrating today, as you know, guys, is very difficult, isn't it? In fact, there's a great irony in the Christian life that it is this, that following Jesus ushers you into a life that simultaneously is the most joyful, but also the most difficult. And that's the paradox of the Christian faith. Isn't it what John said, and Jesus said in John 10.10, he said, I come to give you life, and I give you life more abundantly, our Psalm sixteen eleven says that in God's presence is the fullness of joy, and in Psalm eighty four verse ten it says it tells us better is one day in God's house than ten thousand elsewhere. So why is it so hard to follow this Jesus then? Because Matthew sixteen tells us that if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to take up our cross and follow Him. And this cross, one of Gilbert's friends made this. That's solid wood. That's hard to do. But I think you know this, but the image that the cross was in the first century is not what it is today. In fact, we have crosses made out of diamonds around our necks and our earrings as pieces of jewelry, and that's not always bad. But back then, it was a symbol, the cross was, of oppression, of torture, of death that caused people horror when they saw it. It's kind of like if you went over to someone's house for Christmas and they looked above, or you looked above the baby's crib and it had a hangman's noose. That's kind of weird. And then you go, and they say, let's go eat dinner. And in the kitchen above is a big picture of an electric chair. And you think, this is really creepy. Is this the shining, or what is this? You Look, you don't stay for dinner there, and you definitely don't let your kids go there on a play date. You understand? You run as far as you can quickly away. But to follow this Jesus, as we will see Joseph and Mary do in a very distinct way, that's exactly what they had to do. They had to follow him when everything else around them said, take the easy road. Don't do it. Don't follow this. But for Paul, Paul said that if the resurrection, if Jesus didn't do what he said he was going to do, then everything else in this life is really go home. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. But for Paul, one of the apostles who didn't know Jesus outside of the visions and the prayers, he wasn't physically around, at least in the ministry, like the disciples were. He was a persecutor. It meant suffering, it meant sacrifice, and it meant shame. And Paul asked a question one time. He said, You know, if the resurrection isn't true, then why try? Friends, if this Jesus who was born didn't do exactly what he said he did, then the question comes up Does the resurrection have to be true for your life to be good? Does the birth of Jesus really have to happen for your life to be good? If everything else was stripped away, could you be okay with just those two facts alone? The birth, the resurrection, the death, everything in between. Because if not, then we're not living the life of sacrifice that God calls us to, as we see Mary and Joseph doing in the passage we're going to read. And I say this because a lot of Christians say, Oh, even if it's not true, it's still been a good life. But Paul said, Look, if Jesus didn't do the things he said he did, and if Mary and Joseph lied about this whole thing and Luke recorded it or Matthew recorded it, then this is just all a hoax and just, it's meaningless. And that is where our big idea comes from today. Our big idea is simply this, is that the Christmas story climaxes, hits its apex with a tree. Not the one you decorated. Hopefully you decorated one, right? But with the tree of victory and forgiveness on Calvary. That's what it's all about. To actually go all the way with Jesus, you have to have a strong grasp of why he's worth it. And that's what we're going to see in Matthew 1. Matthew shows you right out of the gate how difficult it is to follow Jesus, how Jesus' first followers found the motivation to do so. And that's what we're going to look at today. So two questions we're going to look at, you'll see, is what does following Jesus look like? And where does the strength to follow Jesus come from? Those are the two big questions we're going to answer today. So with that in mind, will you join me in standing, if you're able, this morning to Matthew chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 18 and read to chapter 25, the end of the chapter. And that is the big question, guys. Is this Jesus really worth following? What does it look like, and how does that strength come to bear? Matthew 1. Hear God's word this morning. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So, verse 21 says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And it said, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And they called his name, what church? Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray this morning. Father. As we come before your word on a snowy Christmas Eve here, cold Christmas Eve here in Kansas City we haven't seen in several years, Lord. We are reminded, whether we live in Africa, Antarctica, or the middle of America, that you are Lord of every season, of every place, of every time. Father, thank you for this. Yet, Lord, we are also reminded, as we have seen even in this brief reading, that following you requires making difficult choices. Not difficult, Lord, in the sense of following you. Father, that's an easy one if we know who you are. But Father, are we willing to put it on the line with everything else around us? Father, let us have wisdom this morning. Speak through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. As you may be seated. Thank you. Well, before we get into this actual looking at the story Matthew 1 has for us, I want to talk about, as, as a yearly reminder, and we've talked about this in the summer a little bit, about the, the Jewish view of betrothal, of uh, of what that is. And I want to talk about this because it really sets the frame about what it means to follow Jesus in difficult times. You see, a young man and his fiance would get legally married. You see that there in verse 24. It says that, uh, it says, and uh, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his, not his fiancée, but he took his wife. It's very, very important. But they had to wait a year before they were allowed to live or sleep together, which I might say is one of the dumbest traditions ever invented. If you got marry, just get married, right? And go for it. And one of the reasons, <laughs> amen. And one of the reasons they did this, of course, was to make sure that the girl who was being married was pure. You see, of course, in those days, the parents arranged the marriages. Now, that is reason number 387, why you do not want to do that, because I love my folks, but I don't know who in the world they would have chose for me, and I'm glad that God led me to my wife, Natalie. But when you choose a wife for your son, you had to pay the huge bride price, didn't you? The dowry. It's awesome, And this is another reason why if you have girls, this actually is a good thing for you. Because in American culture, if you have girls, you come out on the negative red side of weddings. But in that day, you would have some cash positive cash event flow coming your way, hopefully. Anyway, the parents paid the price and wanted to make sure that the girl was pure, so they required a one-year waiting period for them to get married before they could have Uh, live together, have sex, uh, to make sure she wasn't pre-pregnated or whatever else may have happened. And after that year, you could live together and have marital relations, and that is what it is. But in every other way, during that betrothal period, you were officially formally married. And to get out of it, you had to have an official divorce. Well, during the betrothal period, Mary shows up pregnant. Now, I want you just to think about that for a second. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Joseph? Now, we are not here to emulate Joseph. We emulate Jesus Christ. But how painful, how humiliating that would have been. What would it have been like to hear this from the girl you just married and haven't been allowed to sleep with yet? Joseph, of course, didn't believe her. Oh, yeah, the the Holy Ghost got you pregnant? Oh, yeah, and tell me more, dear. Please, let me know how that goes for you. And in the back, you hear something else. And you have a pet unicorn back here. Oh, wonderful. That's great. But Joseph was, whatever reason, by God's grace, a pretty good guy and kind. He was a just man. And so he wanted to get rid of her quietly. He wanted to break this off quietly. He could have had her stoned, rightfully. could have had her stoned and killed. And it begs makes, makes the question, do you ever wonder why God did it this way? I mean, it ruined both of their reputations. Did you ever think about that? The angel didn't show up and explain the situation to everyone else. Isn't that how we like to have things happen? Well, you just need to know the details. Well, he didn't send out a news bulletin or a Facebook post or a tweet or anything else. Everything else from that point on, Mary is known as the impure girl. When they looked back through the yearbook and saw Mary, they, were, they would reminisce and say, hey, do you remember Mary? She loved God. Oh, oh, but do you remember Mary? And that's what they would say. Mary, do you know she had a dark side? And as far as we know, there was never any clarification in the community to her family to vindicate and, and 30, 40 years later, after Jesus died, it didn't matter. But in that moment, following Jesus became very, very difficult. And when Joseph married her, it seemed like he was confessing that the baby was actually his when he had done nothing of the sort. The pregnancy ruined both of their reputations in their community. I mean, think about Mary's perspective here. Mary wanted a white, you know, bride wedding. Do they still have a, a, the dress show say yes to the dress? Is that still around? I don't watch these things. Some of you ladies know what that is. The guys are like, are you kidding me, Derek? Yeah, pretty much it happens. My wife forced me to watch an episode when we were engaged. <laughs> but Mary didn't get the storybook wedding when her, you know, her father walked her down the aisle and all her friends were present. And that's what most women do. They, the most expensive day is the wedding day. But just because Mary lived 2,000 years ago, does, don't assume she's vastly different from most of us, especially you ladies. Her dreams for her beautiful wedding were shattered by this. Ruined not by a mother-in-law, not by the in-laws, not by the budget, but her dream wedding was ruined by Jesus Christ coming into this world. That's a difficult thing to swallow. Not only that, but they would have to flee their homeland. Because of who? Because of Jesus. Wow, that's the abundant life, right? So let me give you four elements in this first question about how Joseph's life speaks to what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then I want to talk about where that strength comes from. And first, look at this. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, first off, it requires absolute trust and obedience. Did you notice that? It says here in the verses that when his mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph before they came together, her husband, not willing to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Joseph had to believe the impossible and risk everything on it. You don't do that because Jesus is your preference, but because you believe the promises that are told to you. And so what we see from this is, why did he do that? Not because he liked to travel, believe you me, but because you are convinced that Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is worth it, and they are surrendered to follow him. He had to have complete trust and obedience in the lord's direction here guys it's kind of like a lot of us that we you guys make such huge sacrifices as a church we do to go all in for the kingdom of god and the only reason you do that is because you believe that jesus is who he said he was in fact if you are a church struggle being sacrificial shouldn't that raise a pretty big question the question becomes, is do we trust the promises of God or do we trust our bank accounts to guide us through the days? Because people who lack the trust in the promises of God will throw some guilt money in the offering plate from time to time, but they'll never give in a sustained, sacrificial way that you see Joseph doing here, even from the get-go. For some in this room today, your trust and obedience in this Jesus in the most difficult decisions of your life will be to forgive a father who sexually abused you. Or someone who has taken advantage of you in some ways that is not you know, culturally acceptable, let alone biblical, and it take a bold confidence in God's forgiveness and His ability to work all things for good. Without that, you'll never have the strength to forgive. I mean, can you imagine what the feeling was like? Lord, you have ruined me. But at the same time, they're so joyous. Oprah, Doctor Phil, Ellen is not going to give you the resources to forgive someone who is done something to you that only comes from God who has forgiven you bigger than anything you can ever do and who works all things for good and you better believe that Joseph and Mary had to as they followed Christ forgive those who said "Ooh, you did that and you're a Jew get out of here do you think they had to extend forgiveness you better believe they did Following Jesus and really following him is not just playing religious games. It's meant absolute trust in an unseen God and the promises that he gives. The second element I think we see here about following Jesus is an acceptance of a sentence of death. An acceptance of a sentence of death. What do you mean by that? Well, Mary's out-of-wedlock pregnancy put her under a literal death sentence in the Jewish law. Literally, she should have died. Beyond that, they had to die to their good names. They had to die to their cherished dreams. They had to die to their families. They had to die to their homelands. God is going to direct some of you in your lifetime to go overseas for Jesus Christ, full-time somewhere for Jesus. And there are going to be people who tell you you're absolutely crazy. What about your 401K? What about your retirement package? What about your equity in your home? What about your degrees? And they will tell you, and in that moment, you have to answer that question, do I obey God, or do I obey my family, who says, you're nuts. And it's going to feel like death. Following this Jesus who was born really wrecks a lot of things, but it's not all bad, is it? Amen? It's all good. John Bunyan, if you have not read, you need to read your Bible, but if I can give you two book recommendations, your number one book's the Bible, go here always. Your second is your membership directory. Know these people in this church forever and ever and ever. And your third ought to be Pilgrim's Progress. If you've read that book, raise your hand. Some of you all have read that. Good for you. That's a lot of good folks. Many of you know John Bunyan. Uh, Not the guy, not like stuff on your feet, Bunyans, not those things, but John Bunyan was his name, a pastor. He spent many years in preaching, uh, prison for preaching the gospel in his own country, his own Englishman. He had three kids at the time. He had one who was blind. And all they said was, John, John, listen, John, do you hear me? All you got to do is stop preaching the gospel, John, and you can go home to your family. This is what he said, quote, The parting with my wife and my poor children have often been to me in this place as pulling the flesh from my bones. I've often brought to my mind that many hardships, miseries, and wants that my poor family has had to meet with, especially my my poor blind child, who lays nearer to my heart than any other. If I ever would suffer rightly, I must first pass a sentence of death on everything that would properly be called mine in this life. Even myself, even my wife, even my children, even my health, even my enjoyments, all must be dead to me and myself as I live to Christ and that's exactly what happened to Joseph and Mary they found that following this Jesus born was harsh it sounded like but isn't this what Jesus said in Luke 14 26 if you want to be my disciple you must hate everyone your father your mother your wife your children your brothers yes even your own life otherwise you cannot be my disciple and obviously we're not talking about delinquency and being a father or a husband or a wife or whatever else But God makes you a better one and gives you a greater love. This doesn't grow a church, but it is talking about the abundant life. This Jesus born in a manger really wrecks every Hallmark card we see this time of year, doesn't he? He really does. But he requires trust and absolute obedience. He requires uh, a sentence of death. And thirdly, he requires self-denial. Look at verse 25. And we joked about this a minute ago, but it's so true. I think this is very significant. It says, but, but, but Joseph knew who knew her, Mary, his wife, not until she had given birth to his son. Verse 25 tells you that Joseph didn't know. Literally, he didn't have sexual relations with her until after the birth of Jesus. What self-denial. Not only did he have to wait a year, he waited a whole other year. It's crazy. Following Jesus means denying yourself some things you might otherwise enjoy. That's why in any place that we have singles that aren't willing to wait, but they want to, be, they want to be married, they want to try it out first. Joseph is a great example to point back to in, in Jesus' name that he was married and he waited to have relations with his wife because it was the will of God. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to consent to do things his way, don't you? Even if it means denying yourself for some things it might otherwise have. He denied himself. And fourthly, it's a small point, but fourthly, to follow Christ, you must be, as Joseph saw here, you must be willing to embrace inconvenience. Boy, and I went to Quick Trip yesterday, and you know my wife, bless her heart, if you were part of the Quick Trip 12 Days of Giving, and we're on Facebook Lives this is a free advertising for them. But if you have the, the Quick Trip app, you got free 12 things from Quick Trip, and yesterday was a slice of pizza. And my wife was going to bring back two, but her phone died on the way and they wouldn't let her get two. So we had to wait a whole half an hour to get an extra slice of pizza. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Suffering for Jesus there and I know, really, tell me all about it. (laughs) But how easily we suffer through quick trip pizza apps, but more importantly, spiritually, there is a willingness to embrace inconvenience. Do you realize again how much this complicated Joseph's life? This birth. It messed up his relationships with his family. It messed it up with his friends. He could have been the owner of the J.E. Dunn type uh, carpentry business, if you will, of his hometown. It messed up his job prospects. Eventually, he had to move and start over. What a great reminder to us on Christmas Eve that serving Jesus is rarely convenient, is it? Many of us don't volunteer because it's not convenient. I work hard all week, Pastor, and I've got kids. Well... We look forward to hearing that from Mary someday when she comes back to us and said, my church, when you go up to Mary and say, my church had the audacity to ask me to help take care of my own kids once a month. And Mary looks at you and what does she say? Or looks at all of us and says, yeah, I had to bear a son for nine months who wasn't even mine. And eventually I had to flee the country because of him as well. That's what it comes down to. But tell me your story, oh great man of faith. Friends, the people in our church who serve our community don't do it because it's convenient, do we? You all serve so faithfully because you are committed to Jesus Christ. May God be praised for that. I know not every ministry is for every person, but do we have a ministry in this church that you're a part of that serves as something that's inconvenient to you? For some of you, that's changing diapers in the nursery. Praise the Lord. For some of you, that's just signing up to be a, a volunteer wherever it is that you're needed and being put in places you'd never serve otherwise. But what about sharing Christ? Sharing Christ verbally, evangelizing, witnessing is never convenient. You know, we have lots of neighbors, and I and this is on Facebook and I'll post it, but posted a photo the other day in our neighborhood. We have some neighbors that one of them has a cross lit up, and the other one has a ghoul, like a like a like a clothed Halloween type thing hanging from their window with a fan in the background and Christmas lights on top of it. Whoa, how do you get that? And everything wants me to go up to that neighbor across the street and say, hey. Do you know this neighbor over here has the right answer? It's called the cross. Forget that ghoul guy, man. You've watched too much Scrooge or something like that. But often we don't share the gospel because it's not convenient. We don't share the gospel because it's not what we do. And there's a really good chance that sharing the gospel is going to be the most inconvenient thing you'll do. Tomorrow at the dinner table it's going to happen or tonight someone's going to say, well, what did you do this weekend? And church is going to pop through your head. And the Holy Spirit's going to kick at you and say, talk to him about me. Share it. And you're just going to try and down as much by as you can if you're like me and try and ignore the subject. But God's going to keep pushing. Do you remember what you heard? It was inconvenient. It was inconvenient. But that's what serving Christ is. And also, if we are going to see our, our, our congregation diversify racially, socioeconomically, and continue to, to, to raise up people here in ways in, that are different than our own and in, in things that are different than our own, it's not going to be convenient. Getting to know people who are not like us is not convenient. It takes intentionality, and it's something the Lord calls us to do. And as we seek the Lord as a church and we talk about plans for the future, it's not going to be convenient You're going to be asked to look at Scripture as am I, examine ourselves, our families, whatever ministries we have to ask hard but biblical questions. We're going to have worship music here at times. It's not always going to be your favorite, but it might be someone else's favorite. Are you willing to embrace inconvenience to follow Jesus in that way to serve the body of Christ? It's tough, isn't it? Following Jesus is not as easy as following a Facebook app, and that would be great. And I'll tell you what, even Facebook is inconvenient because those alerts go off all times of the night and they wake you up. But following Jesus, guys, to become the people of God that He wants us to be takes willingness to embrace inconvenience for the sake of mission. Our priority is not our convenience, but the mission of God. We will be misunderstood. We will be mistreated. We will be maligned. We will be persecuted but the story of Joseph looking towards Christ. Again, we don't want to f- Joseph was a sinner, but his story points us back to Christ, is that we see his trust and obedience, we see his acceptance of the sentence of death, we see self-denial, and we see a willingness to embrace inconvenience. Is that what Jesus has done to us in our lives this Christmas? So where does the strength come from to do these things? Where does it come from? I mean, Joseph didn't have an emotional moment of surrender, did he? I mean, this was like the beginning of a lifestyle. It's the beginning of a new thing. I mean, say right before you boarded a plane on a long flight to Europe, they gave you a backpack, a a, a backpack parachute and told you to wear it. Like, what am I wearing this for? That's kind of odd. But then the plane starts to go down, and you're like, yes, they knew what I needed. Or if I told some of you women that over the next year your waistline was going to increase by 6 inches as you gained 15 pounds. There's no way you'd be excited about that, would you? Except that you got the news that it wasn't because you ate too much holiday dinner, it's because you're pregnant. How awesome would that be? You put up with a lost figure and the extra weight gladly because of the joy of what it gives you, don't you? And you say, well, it's just six more inches and 15 more pounds, but the joy that comes is worth it in the end. Sometimes you don't feel that way, especially when you're not sleeping, but the joy is worth it in the end. All you have, the capacity to sacrifice, as do I, it's what you do with the perception or the awareness of it. So where does the strength come from? We'll close with this. Where does the strength come from? First, the strength to follow Jesus comes from, from, as it says in verse 23. Look back at your text here, guys. Verse 23 says a very important word, and I hope your scripture has this. Chapter 1, verse 23, as he was going through this, it says, "It says, behold. Do you see that word there, behold? The Greek word edu, if you want to throw that out there. It literally means, hey, look at this. You are going to suffer through all this stuff, but behold. Behold. Because when you see this, you'll have the strength. What is he talking about? Well, here's what it is. It's a kept promise. That's the first point. Where does the strength come from? It re- comes in remembering the promises of God. And this is a quote directly from Isaiah 7:14 that we looked at a few weeks ago. And it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is a quote from prophecy that was given 700 years before Christ. And let me remind you where this came from. Originally, it was given to King Ahaz in Judah when the armies of Syria were going to surround them and basically take them over. But Ahaz was so wicked that he knew that he didn't feel like he could ask God for help, so he despaired. And God said, look, I'm going to give you a sign. And because God wanted to keep his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so forth, as he would. And Isaiah tells Ahaz that God is going to give him a sign to be there. And unbelievably, Ahaz doesn't want a word for God because he's not obligated to do it. So he says, nope, I don't want a sign. Isaiah says, yep, you're going to get a sign. Here it is. God is going to accomplish a purpose whether you want it or not. Now that word there, virgin, you see is very much in debate. There's a lot of people who debate this. It can mean two things. It can mean a girl who's never had uh, sexual relations or it can mean a girl who is of marriageable age. And in this context, everyone would have assumed it was just a girl uh, uh, who's able to be married. I mean, they would have been like, "God, your sign is a woman shall get pregnant. Big deal, God, that happens all the time." <laughs> but in this context, the proof of the prophecy is like the birds who will chirp and the dog that will bark. The people say, "God, that is that's silly. That's that, that literally happens all the time." And then it happened. Someone in Ahaz's household had a baby, and that was a sign. But it didn't seem very impressive. And for 700 years, this prophecy was kind of a mystery. God, what are you doing with this? But it seemed kind of out of place. But now through the angel, God says to Joseph, this is actually happening in your midst. This is going on right now. And it's not just that a young woman will conceive, but a virgin, the other meaning of the word. A girl who's never been with a man will conceive. And that's a little more impressive. And in that miraculous birth, God is going to deliver through all the fears and all the promises exactly what he said he would do. Ahaz thought he was just going to be saved from an invading army. But God was promising ultimate deliverance from all of the enemies of God. And in that moment, Joseph saw that God was faithful to keep to the fullest all the promises he had made. And the times, it looked dark. It looked like Israel had been overrun by their enemies, but God took an obscure prophecy and brought it to light. Guys, what is your hope this Christmas season? Is it that the Chiefs would wrap up the the AFC West today by losing and the Chargers lose? No, although there's a 99% chance they'll make the playoffs, so there you go. What is your hope this holiday season? It is that God has kept every promise he's ever given to you and will do it for time and time again. A lot of us would say, is God really active in the world? I mean, Darren, have you looked around? I mean, it's anything. It's just crazy. If God's really involved, why is this all such a mess? Or, Or maybe you're asking about your life. God, where were you in my life when this happened or this happened or that happened? And God tells us to remember this. Here's a sign. Behold, the virgin has conceived. And not just that, a virgin baby was born. He grew up to die on a cross, and he was placed in a grave, and then he rose again, and he came back, the God-man as he was. That's where our strength comes from. Your trust in God, guys, should not be based on how well he has fulfilled your expectations, but um, based on the signs that he's left for you. And we can say, checkmark God's done that. Checkmark God's done that. Amen? That is our God. Behold, a virgin has conceived. Strength comes from remembering he's kept his promises, but secondly, it comes from a remarkable name. Look back at the verse there Behold, the virgin shall conceive, verse 24, 25, and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. He has a remarkable name. The baby's given two names in these verses uh, Jesus and Emmanuel. So is one his middle name? Is one his preferred name? Is it his nickname? I can remember asking my mom that all the time. He it good about what, Jesus, Emmanuel? Which one is it? It's a great question. But what it comes down to is, uh, you know, I always thought as a kid, you used to be like, Jesus, my middle name is Christ, but my friends call me Emmanuel, just if you're asking. Or you can call me Lord, whichever you want. No, the first name Jesus indicates what he does. That is, the second, Emmanuel, who he was. Jesus is what he does, and Emmanuel is who he was. Jesus in Hebrew means God saves, Emmanuel means God with us. And so in those two names, Joseph gets a picture of the glory of God. The most foundational doctrine that we believe, guys, and we can never sacrifice, is that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. Born of a human Mary, so he was fully God, but he was virgin born. She was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, so also fully God. And as we said a few weeks ago, this is not as our Mormon friends believe. This is not God physically having relations. Look, we don't know how it all happened. It's by the Holy Spirit. We trust that, don't we? I don't know the science behind it. I don't know if God will ever show us how that worked, but God did it, and we believe it. Not blindly, but we trust it because he's kept his promises. And this Christ was born as a man because he had to be a man to be our true representative on the cross He lived the life we were supposed to live. He had to face everything we had to face. But at the same time, he never failed. He never sinned. And he died the death. We were condemned to die. He took our place on the cross, and he could do that only if he was fully a man. But he also had to be God for two reasons at least. There's several more that you could dive into. He had to be God because at that point, the only thing that would make sense is that salvation belongs to God. If you or I died on the cross, it would mean nothing. But salvation ought to some lesser being. The Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is just this created guy or archangel. But that's not the point. He's God. He's God. Any less of Jesus is to take out of Jesus. So he had to be God because salvation belongs to the Lord. But secondly, the whole point of God's creation was to have a relationship with us. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. And God walked with them. When God led the children out of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he did so with a pillar of cloud, and the Lord is before them and with them. God had, build, had them build a tabernacle. God's presence was with them. Jesus is born, and the angel says, call him Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus left the Holy Spirit on the first disciples, God was with us, as we heard and read by Don and Shirley. So we weren't created to serve a distant God who watched over us like a judge or a landowner. You were created to love a father and walk with him like a friend, yet a holy God. He took our sin, he bore our shame, and guys, what a great thing that is. Essentially, Joseph is being invited to share in the sufferings of Jesus. Are we willing to do that? Everything that Jesus experienced on earth, had to be, we had to be willing to experience if you to be his follower. Jesus did it, we're called to do it as well. The only thing that will give you the power to forsake it all is to see the joy, the treasure is worth more than the difficulties we will face. And the way you see that is to give him all, everything. He is God. He is Emmanuel. God will call some of you in this next year to do things for him that he has never called you to do before. Yes, I get a vacation to a tropical paradise to share with Jesus. That may happen. But for some of you, that just may be speaking up about Jesus wherever you work. For some of you, it may be going across to the neighbors you live by for 20 years and you only only get mad at them when they don't put their trash out the right way and it blows all over the neighborhood. That might be your challenge. For some of you, that might be giving sacrificially, financially, time, resource, energy, I don't know, in ways that, 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 that you may never have given before. But you do it because there's a remarkable name behind it. Isn't that awesome? I loved working in the secular world, but man, I always felt so weird going to these seminars because it was all about team building for the company. And, you know, and the super spiritual side of me as a pastor working two jobs is like, man, this really doesn't mean much. Go rah, rah, rah company. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's great. And they all went to the bar and celebrate afterward, and I went home. That's what it was. You always get that weird feeling, don't you? of being a Christian. You don't have to be weird, but because you're with Jesus, you're naturally going to be different than this world. And if we lack the motivation to really follow Jesus, to go all in with the good news, you don't need to strengthen your resolve. You need to deepen your joy. Guys, what a joyous thing it is. We have Jesus Christ. When your joy in Him is strong, your ability to forsake everything else will be at its strongest. Well, we don't know what happened to Joseph. We know the end of the story, don't we? He could have died. We know he wasn't around when Jesus was a grown man. But the last time he appears is in the Gospel of Matthew. By that time, Jesus is an adult, likely died. But he passed on to us a legacy for how we could gain the strength to follow Jesus. Not because Joseph wasn't a sinner, but because he trusted the God. So what would have happened to Joseph if he would chosen a different route? If he had chosen the easy route, not believe the angel... Divorce Mary, cast her aside, married a different girl. Yes, I know, sovereignty of God, planned it all out, we got it. But he, he might have gotten that storybook wedding. He might have had a nice little carpentry business there in Bethlehem or wherever he decided to go. But ultimately, he would have missed out on the biblical God-man, Jesus Christ. Guess what would happen if you chose the easy life as well, church? If I chose it, if we chose not to forgive, chose not to sacrifice, we would miss out on Christ and his plan, wouldn't we? What we know is that Joseph's life tells us is that this Jesus is worth it, that he is everything. God keeps his promises that Jesus is worth the pain, the suffering, the shame, the shattered dreams, even if death comes. And all we can say of Joseph is amen. Let's pray today. Father, as we close, a very familiar story with a very familiar character. And Father, we do not worship the characters. We worship you. But, Father, these were real, breathing people, just as were the 12 disciples we took many weeks to study earlier this year. Father, yet through all of them, through their sin, through their muck, through their mire, you were faithful. You kept your promises. You gave them a wonderful name. Father, when they didn't trust obediently, when they didn't didn't sacrifice sacrificially, when they didn't count their name as a sentence of death, when they... Felt it more inconvenient to follow you. Father, you were still faithful to them. Father, whatever lies ahead of us in the days ahead, in our families, in our church, in our in our, in our our neighborhood, our culture, Father, may we trust that you are truly worth it. I know this church and it believes that. Help us to hold on to that by your spirit, by your grace. Father, there's no greater name than the name of Jesus Christ. Fathers, we celebrate Christmas Eve today. We spend time with family, with friends. Father, would you lead us to share whatever it is that we need to share with another family or friend. Not our political viewpoint, not our favorite sports team, Lord, but help us by your grace to share what this Jesus came to do, who he was, what he stood for, and how that changes lives, both now and ultimately for eternity. Father, thank you for these dear saints. Give us great wisdom. Thank you for all those gathered here today. Look forward to celebrating again tonight as we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys join us in standing as we close out this morning? you're here and you'd like to pray, we'll be up front. If you want to talk about joining the church or whatever you have, we'll be up front. If you want to know more about Christ, we'll be up front. You don't get saved by praying a prayer, you get saved by repenting and believing the gospel. Let's sing today.